our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Well, what do you know? It is time for Pet Chat. Hello. We've got Dr. Kimberly Earle here. Kimberly, we're going to look at a topic that um, you didn't get to last time you were here. We were too busy. We were too busy taking calls, so we're going to see if we get a chance. We're going to talk about eyes and eye problems in our pets. Well, that's a big one. And Cheryl Shaw, welcome to you. What are we looking at today? Thank you, Sarah. We're going to be looking at pets and children. Oh, okay. Good things with pets and children. Absolutely. They teach us a lot. But Cheryl, today we're looking uh, at having pets as kids. Now, some parents sort of think, oh, it's too hard. You know, there's enough responsibility just looking after the kids. But there are a lot of benefits to having pets. Absolutely. And parents are right. It, It can be a decision about, you know, what pet is going to suit that family, that family's lifestyle, where they live, you know, and also financial as well, because pets can cost a lot of money. But owning a pet is really an important learning lesson for children. So depending, again, on the pet that they choose, that you know, they can learn things from reproduction, from birth, um, even going through care, illness and, you know, bereavement as well. So they're mm. lessons that, um, even though some of those may be a bit sad, they help you deal with life. But when you think about um, children owning pets, they happen to make them able to be more articulate because children love to talk about their pets. In school, and I I don't know, Kimberly, whether your daughter does stories about pets, but Mm. often they'll do stories about pets, they'll talk about their pets, draw pictures about pets, and that actually helps them with their self-esteem. So it's a really important aspect. Did your, does your daughter have a pet? You just recently lost your dog. Yeah, we had you? a dog. We still have our bird, Kirby. Okay. Um, and she, Mackenzie loves to try to interact with Kirby cautiously because sometimes Kirby tries to have a go at her finger. Um, you know, we've just recently lost our dog. But, yeah, she, you know, I think having pets as part of the family is really good for them. It teaches them a lot about, um, you know, caring for another animal too and... Um, yeah. Uh, empathy really yes Mm. i know that a lot of schools now have taken up the program the government actually um, subsidize or give funding for pets in the classroom because they've uh, realized that this is an educational aspect of having a pet in the classroom i think that's great it is Mm. a great idea isn't it and it teaches them the responsibility it teaches them empathy but also they learn how to care you know how to feed the cleaning and just that nurturing and even if it's just something like a, a, a uh, an insect, you know, a pet insect, mm. they can be really quite educational for the mm. children. So I reckon it's great that they have these programs um, for children in schools. But there are so many choices, Sarah. I know that you got a goldfish for little Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But got you know, four some, now. A four. Mm. Okay, and going well? Perfect. Yeah, because yep. sometimes goldfish can be a little bit vulnerable. So, you know, just making sure that you, you know, got all of that underway so you're not repeatedly having to go off to the pet shop to get... Um, and that teaches them because we clean it. It's probably meant to be every week, but we do fortnightly and they, they're thriving off that. Um, and feeding them every night, it's that repetition of, okay, it's time to feed the fish. Yes, and that's it. And, you know, they learn routine. They learn that things need to be cared for because obviously living creatures need respect and they do need care we just can't treat these things you know flippantly birds like you were saying kimberly birds make great pets mm, they, they do. really do but again you need to look at a pet that isn't going to bite or scratch and you know sort of hurt the child so certainly one of the parrots i had wouldn't be suitable <laughs> <laughs> but um you know budgies they're really great little cockatiels, cockatiels they make yeah. wonderful pets mm. another pet that's um, quite common for children to learn you know sort of care uh, are guinea pigs but you must make sure that you don't have just one guinea pig and we've talked about this recently Mm. they do need to be together they're a social animal and you know you need more than one 
and they're not expensive, to, you know, to, to keep, and, and it does teach the children, um, you know, that responsibility again. Cats are great, particularly if you don't have a lot of area, but if you're getting a dog, you need to really look at, um, you know, how that dog is going to be cared for because puppies and dogs are a lot more work than most pets and a lot of people don't realise, you know, they've got to look at things like the yard. Is it, you know, safe for the dog to be in? Dogs need routine, they need training and they need a lot of extra care. There's also the component that they're going to go to the vets more regularly than a lot of other of your pets. So, you know, you need to really factor that in when you're looking at buying a dog um you know if all of that's too hard maybe you know those little sea monkeys might be the ideal (laughs) (laughs) but it is really um, well researched that um, uh, children being involved they learn so many things they learn how to interact with people and to treat people with respect as well as patients Um, it does enhance their skills as i said for reading and writing and and also um, articulating so i think it's a really great way to to help them overcome some problems too you might have a child who's suffering um, with you know some problem and they'll often talk to their dog or their cat and you know they they have that way of just communicating giving hugs and cuddles and learning Mm. love and things too so i think owning a pet is really great and there's the physical activity you know the child taking the dog or going for a walk with the parents getting yep. out you know and, and making that contact outside certainly compassion I think is the biggest one as well because I know trying to explain to toddlers um, you know with our dog you've got to look after him and you've got to treat him with soft hands and respect you get to teach them all of that with yeah. your dog you know mm, that yeah. they're trusting us and, and we've got to make sure that we're looking after them so yeah. that's a big thing but I think we've also got to remember too the child's age and you know that responsibility still comes back to the parent parents, and yeah. it's really really important not to sort of try to give the child too much responsibility because sometimes the child will actually resent the pet and that becomes a really a different issue so we need to make sure that you're always overseeing it and sure you know as they get older and you know age more appropriate they can be given more responsibilities but I think it's really important to remember that you know parental um, guidance is really important and then you'll get the outcome that you want. I'm looking at an axolotl now. We're at the fish mm. shop this week and I thought, <laughs> oh, they're so cool. Oh, they're fun pets. Yeah. yeah. They're fun, yeah. Just uh, make sure you do your research beforehand so you know what the husband yes. requirements are because sick axolotls are not uncommon but well, they're relatively easy. Even things like I didn't realise you're not meant to have pebbles because yeah, they'll yeah, ingest they in, them. eat them. They get lots yeah. of foreign bodies, yeah. Because mm. I was telling Max that if, a, you know, if its leg fell off that it would grow one back but then I thought, oh my God, he might try and chop it off now so she's <laughs> really a bit a lot of parental guidance yeah. it's parental guidance. <laughs> really important yeah. and remember that kids are still kids so um what a kid sees and what a kid perceives may be really different to what's actually happening so it's not uncommon unfortunately for in my practice we see um bunnies people buy their children bunnies um and the kid is tasked with feeding the bunny and usually the parents help clean out the cage and things like that but what occasionally happens is that um the child is feeding the bunny or maybe there's two bunnies and she's putting food in but one of the rabbits for one for one reason or another is not getting access yeah, to the food and that. so then all of a sudden we have an emergency we have a collapsed bunny who's skin and bones and the parents saying well the, my daughter's been feeding the bunny but you know there's a difference kids you can't expect a child to be able to pick up some of those subtleties that one bunny is bigger than the other that one is you know starving Mm. the other one out um that you know just providing food doesn't mean they're eating it so good um, point definitely parental supervision is really really important Mm. yeah some good advice there we're going to go to a call now rod you're in adamstown hello to you you've got some problems with your dog oh look yeah look what it is is um 
for a long time we've been... Well, first of all, the dogs are boxing, cross between a boxer and a Great Dane. Mm -hmm. um, we've been taking it to Redhead Beach for quite some time where it loves to swim, loves to run with the other dogs and so forth. Um, recently, oh, a couple of months ago, while my wife was walking the dog, it's had to go with a, a, a smaller dog mm -hmm. that came up to it and you know, caused some substantial injury to the other dog. Okay. So, so since then we we haven't taken it back to the beach to let it have a run or a swim because. Yeah. How do you know if you if it if it will be all right or if it's <laughs> not going to be all right at the beach? I, I since yeah. I've done that to the other dog, we've lost that confidence. confidence. And I, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard because we don't know what will have triggered um, that particular event. If the dog was previously good um, and then has had an issue, you know, sometimes it's related to a single a single incident that the little dog, for some reason, was undesirable to your dog. Um, but unfortunately, you're right, you've, you've lost the trust and, and that's a really hard thing to get back. Um, so, you know, I guess the things that I would sort of say is that we need to, to be mindful of... Um, you know, probably in, an, in a supervised environment, seeing how yep. the dog on leash is going to interact with other dogs. And that's what I'd probably do is start with, um, you know, some on-leash interactions with other dogs and see what well, kind well, of... She, she was yeah. on the leash when she did it for the other dog. That's oh, right. She, she wasn't off it. <laughs> she wasn't even off the we leash. Haven't, okay. We haven't had a problem off the lead. Never had a problem yeah. off the lead, but... But okay. She was on the lead, yeah. Yeah, and so maybe maybe there was some, um, you know, guarding, like they were feeling threatened that she had to protect her family, um, and because she was close to you and the other dogs approached, that that certainly is a possibility. Um, but it does make it does make life sort of challenging. So, you know, I guess you'd you'd probably want to. I don't know, that's a really hard one. From a from a liability standpoint, it becomes really challenging because we've already had an incident where we know, and it's a big dog, obviously, so um, even if the intent isn't initially um, aggressive, yeah. but, you know, we can cause a lot of damage. Um, it, it is a hard one. You need to be really, really careful, I guess, you know, trying to, to go to the beach and go down, you know, to the areas where the other dogs aren't there. Um, is, is potentially the, the best option. Um, going with dogs that you know, if you have friends who have dogs and you know that your dog gets on well with that dog. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, really paying attention to body language and, and those sorts of things yeah. to see what's um, what's happening. Yeah. Probably probably having, um, you know, a good um, human-to-dog ratio so that there's not just one of you and one of her, that maybe you have another person um, nearby that yeah. can help if another dog um, is coming in the neighbourhood. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a yeah. really tricky one, unfortunately, because I'm sure your dog's not a bad dog. But now you've had this incident, and in a in a big dog, it sometimes you only get one chance, and unfortunately, it can go well, it can go sideways. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think I'd love to take it to the beach, mm. but but I won't because yeah. I just don't know. You know, that's but, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. know, I think I think going. Um, depending on how busy the beach is, you might occasionally get an, an opportunity to go when there's nobody else there. But, yeah, it, it will be challenging because I think, you know, from, from being a responsible pet owner, you, you're definitely wanting to look out for other people's pets yeah, as well. And exactly. even if your yeah. dog is a normal, you know, um, normal-behaved dog most of the time, yeah. it, it can be unpredictable. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I, I feel you. That was, that's a really tricky sort of yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, good on you for calling in and asking, right, no, Rod, no, though. Thank you. Yes. Not a problem. Thank you. Thanks for your call. <laughs> We're going to go to Graham now. Graham, you're in Louth Park. How can Dr. Kimberly Earl help you today? 
we have a, a little puppy about 15 weeks and we, she's, we want to teach her to go on the leash. Yep. She's done a little bit of mucking around at puppy school that we've had no problems but now we take her out by herself and she walks five paces and sits down and that's it. And sits down, okay. And do you think it's that she's um, objecting to the leash, having something, you know, sort of hanging on to her or she's uh, uncomfortable in her environment and she's nervous? Not- no, we're only doing it around the house because yep. uh, she hasn't had a final injection right, yes. uh, to, to work properly yet. So we've just done it around this. She's not pulling and tugging on mm-hmm. it. She's just sitting down sort of saying, I'm not going any further. Yeah. You can drag me if you want to. Yeah, okay. So what I often tell people to do in this sort of circumstances, we need to desensitise her to it. So whether it's the actual leash or something else, um, it might be the, the weight on the neck that she's not used to. It might be that she's not really sure what's expected of her so I often get people to clip the leash onto her and just get her used to sort of wearing it and maybe dragging it around now that has to be done in supervised fashion with somebody watching because you would hate for her to get hung up on something Um, but you know encouraging her to walk while dragging that leash initially so she's not frightened of the leash leashes can they they put a funny weight on your neck they um, can startle you if you catch them out of the corner of your eye if you're a young dog so you know getting one of her favorite treats or doing it around a meal time where you just encourage her all was to be um, moving forward towards you without being pulled and that's one thing lots of puppies will um, you know they put a leash on and they they walk a few steps nicely beside you and then all of a sudden they sort of put the brakes on and if people start to drag them we do find that they sort of become resentful of that leash so I would try with positive reinforcement to try to encourage or bribe her towards you with food treats and lots and lots of praise and get her desensitized to that leash and then slowly um, you know lengthen that um, that distance that she going so you might get her out with two people in the backyard have one person hanging onto the leash and and have the other person move across the yard and then call her over with treats and just let her come with the weight of the leash sort of dragging behind her and get her used to it that way um you can do then work on, you know, encouraging her to walk with the leash. So somebody hanging onto the leash, someone beside her. And you might need to have a second person in front every, you know, sort of four or six steps, giving her a little treat, lots of positive reinforcement, so that she's encouraged to move in a forward direction while the leash is attached to her. And remembering that a puppy from 10 to 16 weeks, this is a real critical socialization period for them, but it's also a time when they are susceptible to stresses and things. So if you think it's overwhelming for her, if she's just like, I can't cope there's too many there's noises or barking dogs or um there's something for some dogs it's just the space that i'm in too big a space i don't feel safe um so if you feel that she's at all anxious her tail is down she's not interested in the environment back off a little bit take her a step back let her get used to that um because we don't want to traumatize her in this young period of time because that will she'll carry that through life so just go really really slowly and lots of positive reinforcement and nola from belmont uh you've got a query about a cat on a lead Yes, I have. Thank you. Our cat loves caravanning with us and we'd like to take our 10-month-old cat, Albert, with us. Mm-hmm. Do I do this, follow the same instructions that you gave the gentleman about sensitising it to a lead? Yeah, Yeah, I would. So if it's not been on a lead before, so we have to remember that cats are a little bit different to dogs um, and the purpose of having the cat on a lead is probably going to be a little bit different in some ways to a dog. So in this instance, you're using it really as a safety to make sure that your cat doesn't escape and run off somewhere up up a tree and things like that. So it's... it's, 
It is a little bit harder in some cases to get forward motion from cats on leads, but not always. Some cats will be very compliant. Um, but I think that's a, it's a really good way to start. So a positive reinforcement with food treats or toys. Cats, you can often encourage them, um, you know, to play with a little, um, a little dangly toy, things like that, to get used to the feeling of the movement. And with the cat, you'll want to have it probably in a harness, um, more so than just a collar. Probably it's going to be safer. Um, so I would get the cat used to first wearing the harness often we tell people to put them on around a meal time so the cat has is distracted when you're putting the yes, harness we've on been doing that Great. He, he likes playing with, with the lead yeah. and his harness yeah yes. yeah so i would i would start with that and then see how you go but just the expectation is going to be a little bit different from a cat i think um i wouldn't necessarily expect that you're going to be able to take your cat for a walk around the park but no, um but tolerating the the lead so that you know you know that he's not going to escape up a tree or go under somebody's car or something like that is is really good and, and yeah get him used to desensitize him to the lead so he's not frightened of it it'll be helpful if he's happy to play with the end of it you're going to have you can hang on the middle and let him play on the on the end bit and it'll be fine Thank you very much for that. And Nola would love to see a pic. You can send it to 2NURFM.com with you and your hubby caravanning. And was it Albert? What was the... Albert the cat. Yeah, Albert the cat. Would love it's to lovely. see Albert on the lead and, and doing some caravanning with you. Okay, will do. The, advent- <laughs> the adventures, adventures of, of Albert. Albert. Oh, I would love Albert that. does Australia. <laughs> let's hope uh, Albert's wearing a, a um, telephone ID in case he does get out that, when he's that caravanning. Is true. And as well, make sure your microchip details are up to date on the Australian um, or, or um, Companion Animal Register. Good That's one. Really good. Yep. John from Brankston, some problems with your German Shepherd? Yes, we do. My wife and I have a granular little puppy, and I say little, he's probably getting... Close to 16 to 20 weeks old now, but yeah. he's a real terror in as much as he digs holes and rips up the garden regularly. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's that age, unfortunately. Have you got something specific you need help with? or? Well, is there a remedy? We've <laughs> tried to put in plenty of toys and yep. plenty of it, but it yeah. seems to go crazy after the. Um, we left alone for a bit, especially yeah. overnight. Okay. So, I mean, the remedy is time, unfortunately, because um, puppies are terrible. Puppies are really hard work. Um, certainly making sure... So at 16 to 21 weeks, hopefully he has finished his vaccination series and he can start to get more exercise. Um, we want to be cautious with German Shepherds in terms of how much exercise we get, but they still need um, decent amounts of exercise. So we're not talking taking him for a five-kilometre run, but certainly getting him out, getting him exercise, starting to walk him if he's got a good recall um, getting him into a safe spot where he can start to um, you know get a bit of off-leash time if, if you you know trust him with that um, ex- exercise is really important from from this time up until he's about a year old you're probably going to need to look at sort of two good exercise periods through the day um, German shepherds if he's a good eater some of them aren't super fussed on food but I would give them a job to do rather than feeding them out of a bowl so have a measured amount of food that you're feeding but then make him work for it they're smart smart dogs and there's no reason he can't use his nose and his yeah, paws to get I guess that's a disappointing thing you get a very smart dog he learns really quickly yep. but uh, <laughs> he knows he's done wrong as soon as he sees us looking yeah. at the planet. And then to a certain degree, sometimes it is about removing things. So if you have um, special plants that you don't want them to destroy, you may need to try to 
and repop them into a front yard instead of a backyard for Sounds a little like while until we remove them for yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean sometimes it's it's about you know puppy proofing your um, the environment that he has access to. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with crate training. Um, so in between exercise periods, if he's not trustworthy, then he probably could um, benefit from some crate training, and that can be really helpful, um, particularly if he's carrying on at night because we want him to learn to rest at night, not to be up playing through the night. Um, so yeah. crate training where he's got a comfortable um, but relatively confining space um, can be really helpful from that sort of a standpoint and they will learn to settle into that so that he learns the routine of you know through the night I'm going to sleep here I'm going to have a nice good sleep and then I'm going to be out and about in the morning um, like you said making sure he's got lots of good toys don't confuse him so don't give him an old shoe thinking that he can have this one but not your good shoes because those sorts of things are very confusing for dogs um, and just like you would with a baby um, you know a lot of times it has to do with removing the items that you need to protect from his environment um, and as he grows older he'll get more sensible it takes them a while to actually grow their brains um, you know they're lovely and sweet and cute but they're a lot of work and they can be a bit awful sometimes too yeah. <laughs> on one plant but he just likes one style of plant all the time so the same you remove all those plants? Um, potentially so there's nothing that's toxic for him or uh, well we don't believe so you that's know, th- yes I don't know why he bites and chooses because it's really spiky. Okay. But he loves them. It might be, if it's a succulent, it might be something about the juice. There might be a sweetness to the juice or something like that. You you can remove them as long as they're not, um, you know, not toxic. Um, There's some great websites out there these days. You can take a photo of it and look it up. And um, but if he hasn't come to any harm, it's probably okay. Once he gets rid of them all, you just don't plant them again until he's older. Um, Or you can take them out if they're, you know, if you're concerned about about the plants. Um, If you've laid down bone and um, blood meal, things like that, that can attract them as well. So sometimes. Um, keeping things, you know, reduce the fertilizer use if you're doing any of that because that will really attract dogs and sometimes can make them sick if they really go at it. We've had a dog recently who um, who gorged on a bunch of um, uh, dynamic lifter and, oh, it was, yeah, oh, it was dear. pretty bad. Yeah, so um, that yeah, kind of thing. Really nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that can be an attractant for them as well. So um, lots of exercise, give him work to do and then um, just wait it out. He'll get better. Okay, well, thank you for that. Well, I figured that was the answer because you just... It's a really smart dog, but he's a nuisance sometimes. That's yeah, probably. they are. They are. And puppies are hard work. I, I don't. I don't look forward to the next puppy. I like dogs. Puppies yeah. are hard. They really are, aren't <laughs> they? they? Are. Thanks very much for your call, John. Uh, Kimberly, you were talking yeah. about crate training before. Yeah. Um, and I know in the past when I didn't know anything about it, I mm-hmm. sort of thought this was when I was adopting dogs or yes. fostering. Um, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to put them in this. It's going to be mm. awful for them. They're going to feel confined. But it, it can be very calming for, it's for the really dog. Really good can't for it? them. So, um, I mean, not most of our pet dogs would never survive in the wild. But if you think back to a wild dog, dogs and wild dogs and foxes and wolves and things like that, they're born in dens. They're born in small, dark, enclosed spaces because it's safe and the mother dog feels safe. And our dogs inherently tend to feel safe. Once they're used to it, they feel safe in an enclosed sure. um, situation. So we always talk about a, um, a crate that's predominantly closed on at least three sides and the roof yep. um, with, that has a, a lighted 
facing forward, you know, yes. so they can see out, but so that they feel enclosed. And lots of dogs, once they're trained, the first few nights are usually a bit painful because they whine and carry yeah. on. But once they're trained, lots and lots of dogs actually will see that as my safe zone. It's yes. very helpful from a, from a toilet training standpoint, so particularly for little inside dogs. Um, you know, if we have them running through the house, there's no incentive for them to hang on to their bodily functions. But if they're in a nice enclosed little crate, they're going to see that as their home and their bed. And they want to keep their home and their bed clean. And so it gives them a reason to hang on to their body functions until somebody lets them out to the toilet. Um, it's not 100%, but it's really, really very helpful. And you've hit the nail on the head. Just, mm-hmm. you know, wait out the first few nights. Don't be like me and say, <laughs> no, they're coming into the bed because they're upset because that just doesn't work. It doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. It's like anything. When you first bring a puppy home, it's like having a new baby. You just have to sometimes tolerate some crying, get used yeah. to that. And then they will settle into a routine. We had Rod uh, that phoned us a little earlier from Adamstown and he had a problem uh, walking his dog at Redhead Beach. Um, a little dog had approached it a few months ago and mm. had attacked. Had and a he, dog attack. Yeah, yeah, he wanted yeah. to know what to do. Your mum is listening all the way in Canada. She, she listens is. every week. Hello. Mm. Uh, yes, we're waving, waving on the webcam. Yep. She's actually texted some advice for Rod. She has. I'm going to read this directly from, um, from my phone to Rod. It says, tell the gentleman who's worried about taking the dog to the beach to enlist a friend who is not part of the bad who was not part of the bad incident to hold his dog's leash often uh, also often dogs are more relaxed when they're off leash um, and can be less protective and that is true it, to a certain degree if the incident that happened with rod's dog was because his dog was trying to be protective of him and his family if he has a friend um, who is probably known to the dog but the dog doesn't have that same protective um, response to uh, is holding on to the leash instead of uh, instead of rod or his family himself then there is probably less likely to be um, that protective mechanism at you know at play there um, so that can be really helpful um, we were talking about um, Patricia O'Connell's yes. book. She's got a book called um, The Other End of the Leash, which is a really useful book in terms of trying to understand how dogs perceive us and, and how we can behave around dogs. Because certainly for Rod now, if he's going to go back to the beach or go to a park with the dog, um, he's going to be anxious and his mm. dog will pick up that anxiety and that tenseness through the leash as well, which will probably set the dog off straight away. There's something wrong with my person. I have to be on the lookout and that may um, exacerbate the problem. So, um, Rod, if you're still listening, if you um, are interested in trying again, um, my mother actually probably has a pretty good suggestion and um, still always be really, really cautious. Um, but if you're going to try it, that's something to try and maybe have a look at um, at the other end of the leash as a, as a good book. for. I think it's a really good book for, for dog owners in general if you yeah. want to get a bit more insight. So mm. that uh, specifically talks about walking dogs or does it go into lots of different things? This it goes, book? In, goes into a lot, but certainly mm. what the dog picks up being on the leash, what mm. the messages are that us owners give to the dog. So it's really important that we understand that the dog is actually trying to protect us in some incidents or reading our body language via that leash, you know, pulling on it, letting it off, different things that happen. Those things are in that book and can really help a lot. Because I know we've spoken about it before, but it's not a natural environment for two dogs to meet on a leash. That can be no. quite confronting. Or if That's one's right. on a leash, and in this case, another dog's approach, not on a leash, that mm. can be very um, confronting yeah. for the dog on the leash. Yeah. I actually have a saying about that, Sarah, and we use it at, at our place, but it's nose to nose leads to blows and nose to bums leads to chums. Because ah. dogs like to sniff and work out whether they're friend or foe, and that's often mm. a way. Often if you, just like if I was to get in your face, you wouldn't 
be very happy about it. So dogs are the same. That personal space. They don't space. like that, you know, up close, and, and that really can put them into a, a fight-flight situation where somebody's going to get hurt. Really interesting. Mm. Kimberly, is your um, mum a vet as well? Just no, she's with, not. <laughs> well, she's very knowledgeable about animals. Have you been teaching her or has she always had a love of animals and that's where she, you've got your passion always, from? She's always had a love of animals, certainly. There was always animals in my house from before I was born right through growing up. So, um, yeah, it's, um, my mother is, I'm sure, responsible for my love of animals. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kimberly, we're running out of time, so yes. we're not able to uh, cover the topic of oh. eyes again, but can you give us just a little uh, taste of what we will talk about? about when we sure, get a chance when we get a chance sure um it, it, eyes you know we have two of them dogs have two of them cats have two of them rabbits have two of them all of our pets have eyes um they're really important but they're very prone to problems and particularly with our dogs they're often if you think about a pug or a frenchie they're often very f- prominent on the yeah. front of the face yes um they stick out they're a bit bulgy if you've got a, a squashy face dog those eyes are really really prone to problems um a while back we were having lots of wind and we were seeing lots of really red conjunctivitis eyes spring, yeah. yeah well now the spring is coming and some of the allergens are starting to crop back up so we're seeing sore eyes from that the thing that's really important is if your dog has an eye problem we only get one chance sometimes to fix the eye. Okay. Um, it's not something that you're going to wait from Monday to Friday to see if it gets better on its own. If your dog has an eye problem, your pet has an eye problem, whatever pet, we need to get them in that day. Okay? So we're going to really have a look vet. at that. Yeah, it's something we yeah. need to see right away. Yeah, Yeah. good advice, Kimberly, mm-hmm. and we'll discuss that uh, in further detail with our next pet chat with Kimberly. But that is it for us today. Cheryl Shaw, Dr. Kimberly Earl, thank you so much. Well. Kimberly's mum in Canada, thank you for your <laughs> advice. She'll always be just Kimberly's mum to me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.